everyone. Welcome to Taz Talk, uh, the show where we talk about the Adventure Zone podcast. Today we're talking about um, episode three of the Commitment Arc. I wanted to start us off with... Oh, I lost it. Hang on. Um, oh no, find it. I'll find it. Don't worry. We had a... Uh, I got an ask on Tumblr that I wanted to read. Um, it's a little long, but I'm just going to read the whole thing. Oh yeah, And please. it's from um, Incoherent Geometry... Tumblr user Incoherent Geometry said, I wanted to write to you guys about Last Ep and specifically about Cardala's perception of the world. Oh, I'll preface this by saying, just like recapping, in the last episode we were talking about how I thought um, Justin was going to play it more like person from the past confused by technology, whereas it kind of became clear right away that if she was watching everything through um, Irene's eyes, then she would have more knowledge about like everything that was going on in modern technology and stuff. Um, as evinced by, I think during one scene, she says to Nadia, I know what science is. Um, and incoherent geometry said, I wanted to write to you guys about the last ep and specifically about Cardala's perception of the world. I think the idea is that she's been inside Irene this whole time and seeing the world through her eyes, but I don't think Cardala is always paying attention. Like how she pauses when asked about Irene's favorite movie and kind of gave a joke answer. But I think she really didn't know, even though minutes ago Irene said it. So I think Cardala vaguely knows about common things, but not powers. Also, I want to add, even if Irene knows about science, extreme human modification is kind of out there. Also, I'm certain Nadia's Clayman Sandman morphing thing probably looks extremely disturbing. Also, Cardala is probably likening the unnatural powers of Nadia and maybe Remy directly uh, to something she's familiar with, like demons. So I thought that was a good point that, like, I guess we don't know what the modern technology is like in this world. We don't know if it's exact, like, very, very near future. I'm assuming so because this technology doesn't exist in our world that we know of. Um, it could be, so it could, I guess we're assuming it's very near future. And that being the case, um, I mean, you know, it's like comic book history, like, I Marvel superhero, like, modern world, where there's technology that we don't have yet. But it's basically the same universe. Yeah, I think um, that's, that's so, pretty... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that um, Incoherent Geometry made a couple of points. Uh, but I, I am really glad that we brought up this point in particular first, because that is something I wanted to talk about, which is um, Cardala looking or Cardala observing the world through Irene's eyes and vice versa um do you want to dive right in on that or did you want to keep talking a little bit more about the future and stuff oh uh, no I'm done huh? okay <laughs> <laughs> trying to say what I was trying to trying to articulate that point you did it good um, I agreed with you <laughs> <laughs> thanks so Cardala um, being able to observe the world through Irene's eyes in in episode three of commitment well, I'm not entirely sure that that's accurate or not necessarily accurate it's just i don't know that that's actually happening when when cardala turned back into irene irene didn't have any idea what was going on which that's not true is it not no let's let's get to that in a little bit because i wanted to talk about that too it was a little confusing okay um but before before we move on into this episode i also wanted to talk about um speaking of cardala um Cardal. Yeah, it's it's weird. Um I guess yeah, actually let's just go right into that because that ties into another point that incoherent geometry made about yeah. how maybe like well, either one is um primarily inhabiting the body, mm -hmm. the other one might not see everything that happens. Mm -hmm. Um and that like that makes sense with the way Cardala was behaving when she first appeared. But the thing is, I had the same thing that you did where Irene Turns like Cardala turns back into Irene, and Irene goes, "What's happening? Like, what's going on? What's happening?" But then Nadia says, "What do you remember?" And I was really excited to hear Justin describing what Irene remembered, mm -hmm. and he didn't. He just hand waved, said, "Okay, she explains it," which yeah. made me think that apparently she remembered everything that had happened. She was just still confused by some things. I'm not sure. I really oh. wanted to. I really wanted Justin to. To, I really wanted to hear Irene's response, but they just hand waved over it, making me think it wasn't important. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? See, I, I took that to mean completely the opposite, which she had no idea what was going on, and they had to, like, really walk her through, okay, so this happened, and then you turned into this thundery lady, and now we're here because we have to go do a thing. Like, oh. Yeah. I... But, but because I you're don't... right, like, because they hand waved over it, I don't know what they meant. 
I'm not entirely I, sure. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I guess we're gonna, we might have to agree to disagree. I'm pretty sure that Justin meant Irene tells everything that she that happened and everything that she remembered, which is everything. Because otherwise, why wouldn't he like it clear like what she did and didn't remember? It seemed like an important point to establish what the internal relationship was between Irene and Cardala. Yeah, well, I mean, and so that's something I was going to mention a little bit later is that I'm kind of sad this is going to end in the next episode because I just want to keep <laughs> exploring these characters and their dynamics, um, especially Cardala and Irene, just because, like, in my head, I was kind of expecting maybe a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde sort of situation. I kind of, I might have confuse the two um but something where you know you don't know the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing sort of yeah. a thing, or like while you were sleeping kind of a thing mm-hmm. um but because when irene turns into cordala and i think this goes along more with what you and incoherent geometry are saying when irene turns back into cordala cordala knows exactly what's going on and I, either she's reacting to the situation in front of her or she was actively observing everything that irene was doing like they, I, I think, think they know. I think yeah. they're watching. Yeah. While the other one is in control. Yeah, but you're right. I, I do kind of wish that they fleshed it out a little bit more. Although I, I do appreciate that they were like the red line goes over the uh, Atlantic and, and the, <laughs> the spinning. They made the old propeller joke again. <laughs> yes. Another, another thing I wanted to say about Cardala and what she does or doesn't know about the modern world is that I saw um, a post on Tumblr by Tumblr user uh, Mary Wall. I hope I'm saying that right. It's M-A-R-Y-W-H-A-L. And they were basically saying, I am an indigenous person who does um, research on indigenous representation in the media. And they were saying that for them, they, one of the things that they were apprehensive about with Cardala's character was that there is um, this common trope of the way indigenous people are portrayed in the media where they like don't understand modern technology Mm -hmm. and they're kind of like stuck in the past. Mm -hmm. And so that's why this uh, Mary wall was saying that they really appreciated when Justin said Cardala knows what science is and like kind of made that clear. Um, So it's probably, it's probably better the way this is all. And this is like kind of a, a, a problematic trope that I wasn't super aware of. Mm -hmm. Although when I was reading this post, I'm like, Oh, okay. That actually makes sense. Um, but just based on that, it's probably the way thing, the relationship between Irene and Cardall is shaping up is probably better than what I was imagining. Yes, no, completely agree. And I, I was doing a little bit of research about this too, but, um, you uh, the, the temporary user was correct in that there is a very common trope of when we see, um, I'm going to say ethnic, uh, <laughs> you know, ethnic kind of characters, especially if they aren't from modern times or modern Would you say reality, character of- color non or just like non-white characters kind i guess so like yeah i guess yeah we could say that like when we are it's when we are introduced to characters who are i guess non-white and also not from this time or not from this modern age there there's a tendency to lean towards savagery or to equate like unfamiliarity with savagery like something that comes into mind and we could dive right into like colonialism and 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 a ton of other different things but uh to really just focus in on something like pocahontas from disney where the um the europeans um got like landed on land and you know the story of pocahontas and how their idea of these people who are so foreign to them or also that these people are savages, 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 barely even human. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Could not help it. I was worried that Cordalo was going to be that kind of a character. But I'm really glad that um, she's she's not savage. She's just really strong. And and that the the kind of character that Justin is trying to portray is one that is more kind of like Thor almost. And I think that's where a lot of the humor kind of... It hits a good note for me, anyway. Um, is that it's it's a kind of like a earnest level above the mortals around her. Um, yeah, yeah, and, I, and Justin's been very earnest about like establishing that from even their introduction um, episode. Mm-hmm. So I really I appreciate that, and I think that's why I really like Cardala as a character. And I'm gonna be sad when we have to move on away from her. Yeah. And everybody else, yeah. <laughs> I think um, a potential problem or kind of like a conflation of issues is that Justin is... It's like Cardala is... There's two traits to Cardala. Um, she is um, an Inuit goddess, or is based on an Inuit goddess. 
And so she has, like, that Inuit background. And also she's supposed to be this, like, super powerful, I don't know what, like, Thunder Goddess to me, I don't know exactly what the mythology is, but, like, it sounds like Justin's trying to play her as, like, loves fighting and is very, like, kind of, like, warlike. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think playing um, a war goddess in and of itself is not a problem. It's just that are you conflating it with stereotypes about indigenous people? There we go. And so that good luck, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I also want to say, just like full disclosure, I'm basically white. So if I and I'm trying to talk about these topics that are a little bit out of my lane and that I want to be informed about, but I'm not always. So if anybody's listening to this and they hear me say something that you have a problem with, please call me out, drop me an ask or send me an email. Um, and uh, I will <laughs> I will listen to what you have to say, because I don't want to fuck up either. Oh, thank you, Rachel. It's super transparent of you. Um, I, I'm super Filipino. So, I mean, I guess I can have some sort of ownership over whatever people of color commentary come up on this podcast. But, I mean, in in, in no way are we trying to be offensive or anything of that nature. But, yeah, if, if you have any comments or questions or any feedback for us in the way we're talking, the codes we're using, the language we're, we're talking about, please, by all means. Um, so, anyway... Yeah, perfect. Oh, well, I was trying to think if I should drop the email at the end of the episode or now. But yeah, the email address is at the end of the episode. I'll say it then. Yeah, listen to the whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Was there anything else in Incoherent Geometry's post that there are a lot of things that we could talk about, but is there anything in particular you wanted to touch on now? I think I I covered um, everything that I wanted to say. So yeah, thanks for sending that ask. It was cool. Yeah, thank you. Okay. All right. Yeah. Mo- moving on ahead. Um, can we talk real quick about the fate system? Yes, I oh. wanted to talk about this Good. Um, because Excellent. I don't, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Me neither. And I find it very confusing. I have no idea how they're rolling negative numbers. I don't know what that means. I, I'm wondering. I mean, this is something where I could go look it up, but I'm too lazy and I don't care that much about learning this <laughs> system. Yeah. Um, especially I, if they're not going to. I don't know if they're going to stick with it. Yeah, I think, and I think that's kind of, it's not, it's it's kind of putting me off, like, a little bit. Like, if my whole hand is on is on the adventure zone, it's it's taking out maybe my pinky finger away <laughs> from it. Like, but, like, when, when I first started listening to the adventure zone, like, they were saying, roll a d8, or, like, roll this kind of die, and you get this kind of number. And, you know, the numbers made sense, and I could follow along. Um, yeah. But with the fate system, and I and I appreciate that a lot of the times they're just kind of skimming over the math, and they aren't really necessarily saying what it is they're rolling or how they're getting these numbers entirely. Like they don't have to show their math every single time. But because, yeah. and I think you're right. Like I don't know what they're rolling, and I put that in caps. Is I don't know what, what are these dice that they're using. I think it That's might be true. It might be a mechanic that they're utilizing on roll twenty because all of a sudden everyone knows what everyone else is rolling. Yeah. And, and I think I think in the fate system, and this is the same system that Griffin based the stolen century mechanic on, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's just D6s. Oh, just like a regular okay. board game dice. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, I do appreciate... Yeah, it's... Oh, go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh. Um, no, you I... go ahead. <laughs> I do appreciate that Griffin, you know, will... They'll do an action, and Griffin will take a step back and explain, like, oh, so that happened because you rolled this, the shift was this, because of that outcome, this happens, you know? Um, and and that kind of eased me in a little bit more into the fate system, but I, I do admit it was kind of hard to follow. Um, I, I don't know this that... Is... Go ahead. This is really interesting, because I was... For me, I when I started listening to the Adventure Zone, listening to Balance Arc, um, I played Dungeons & Dragons before, so I, I was just getting familiar with 5th edition. I played 3.5 before, um, Pathfinder specifically, um, but I... I understood what was going on. And, like, there are some minor, like, transitions between 3.5 and 5, but it was really easy for me to follow the rules because I understood the rules already. And I wondered about how people who... Because listening to this, I feel like I don't understand the rules for combat. I don't like it. (laughs) It's, like, (laughs) it feels... It's, like, confusing, and it's just kind of... It's a little bit off-putting. And Mm. so I wondered, like, well, I know there are a lot of people who listen to the Adventure Zone who had never played Dungeons & Dragons either, so maybe it's the same thing. Maybe everyone went through this. Mm. But you're saying this is more confusing for you to listen to because you hadn't played D&D before you listened to Taz at all. And, 
I don't. Mm, I don't know. It if, probably. I don't well, know I if that causation is like correlated necessarily, but it it might just be that I don't. I would need to like play it, or I would need to like v- like visually see it, because I don't know that it's really translating as clearly via podcast, um, as well as D and D might lend itself to be. Um, but I don't know. Griffin made Stolen Century work pretty well. Um, well, I think one thing is that um, for when they started playing Dungeons and Dragons for the advent, uh, when they started the Adventure Zone, they were still learning the rules and they were still getting used to everything. And they took a lot of air on air time to explain to each other this is how it works. And the pace was very slow, and like a lot of the 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 on air time was devoted to explaining the rules to each other and sussing out the mechanics and understanding that stuff. And so it's probably easier listening to the balance arc to onboard somebody to D&D. Whereas in this case, I think, first of all, because it's a very short arc, um, and because now they're they're really trying to focus on story more than on the the mechanics of the, the whatever tabletop system they're using, I think they're kind of skimming past that stuff a little more. Oh, that's and true. And they've already they've already familiarized themselves with the system a lot, and they don't they don't want to focus on the mechanics of the fate system. All like while like in the recorded time. Yeah. Oh, I think, I think that's a very good point. Yeah. I, I did they mention if the other arcs were going to be taking this kind of gameplay also, or ha- has that not yet been discussed? I'm I'm assuming they're going to. Ke- I don't know. I mean, they said that they wanted to try out some different systems because they wanted to see what else was out there. Mm-hmm. whether or not there was something that was going to work better for their purposes other than Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And um, I don't know, maybe they'll, maybe they're not focusing on the, like really explaining the mechanics of the fate system because they're going to ditch it for the next arc and they're going to do something else. I'm not yeah. sure. I, um, I do appreciate how this, this game system really lends itself, I think pretty well to creating a narrative. It's super collaborative yeah. between GM mm-hmm. and player. Um, and I, I really do appreciate that. Like, as much uh, difficulty as I might be having with the math of the actual gameplay, I really do like that the boys are like pitching their ideas and that um, Clint is the one saying, okay, I like that, but let's do this instead, you know, because you rolled this. Like when um, when Nadia gets pierced by the, by the, by the pokey stick. Yeah. The, <laughs> what's another? Spear. Sorry, I forgot what spear for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Oh, uh, thanks. Um, when Nadia gets pierced <laughs> I by was the being spear, sarcastic. <laughs> um, they Sorry, had go to, on, Chelsea. They had to discuss, like, well, so if that happens, like, you have to have, you have, something has to happen to you, but also you have these superpowers, so how is that going to really play out to a narrative? And there was a discussion, and I think that they reached a really happy medium, um, and I really think that, you know, listening to the the um the way that these actions are justified and um the like process behind what actually gets determined i think that's really fascinating um uh-huh. so that i think is really worth investing in the system um i don't know I, with with commitment oh no nope with balance i really like you know (laughs) seeing the numbers and like justifying okay that makes sense they rolled a 17 you know yeah this one the numbers kind of put me off but i really do like the story elements that are coming out from it so mm. well yeah i think maybe i i don't again i don't know fate system at all but just from my experience listening to this podcast i wonder if it really is more um story oriented and the combat is a lot more understated just because or and again, this might just be my unfamiliarity with the rules, but in the last two episodes when they didn't fight anything and it was just all role play and sort of setup, mm-hmm. I didn't have any trouble following any of the mechanics in that case. Oh, like, yeah. Like, what they were saying, it was unfamiliar, but it made sense to me, basically. Yeah. It wasn't until the combat started where I was like, what the fuck is going on? Because D&D is very combat-oriented. Yes. That's, like, a big part, a part, big part of it. And that's something else that I wanted to talk about, which I thought was weird, is that... Um, so, you know, they, they ditch D&D because they want to do something more story-based ostensibly and they want to focus on the role play and world building. And they thought that D&D has a lot of clunky mechanics in that case. And that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I can see that. They, but I then guess, they... Well, 
Okay, I'm I'm realizing the answer to my own question oh, as I'm saying this. Ask the question, <laughs> question so I can was going think to about be, it. What's that? I'll ask the question so I can think about it. Okay, I will. Um, the question was, if they are ditching D&D to do something more story-based, why did they then kind of like... They didn't. They didn't. They could have done anything. They didn't still have to have fighting. They didn't even need to do combat. I don't know mm. why. Well, the the answer is it's superhero stuff. Superhero stuff is all about fighting <laughs> bad guys. That's the answer that occurred to me as I was reviewing my notes. Yeah. Um. But it's just funny. I was trying to think about like why when you're trying to get away from D and D and you're kind of trying to focus more on story and you can do anything you want to with the system that you have. Why? go back to combat still Mm. and i mean i think one answer is that i mean for me personally i love the combat in dungeons and dragons it's a blast i love fighting in in uh D, I love fighting in video games and i think it's because it's not because it's violent but it's because the way combat is set up in rpgs is that it's like puzzle solving Mm -hmm, and especially mm -hmm. in dungeons and dragons when you have like a rigid initiative and there's like all of these rules it's a puzzle to try to figure out how are you going to defeat these enemies and how are you going to work together with your teammates to pull off the things that you want to do and i think that's part of the appeal of combat it's i mean it's like in video games i love shooting people with guns in real life i'm i've never been more uncomfortable anywhere in my life than being at a shooting range with my parents it was horrible i don't like holding guns they make me uncomfortable but Mm -hmm. like in a game it's great so it's just it's interesting thinking about like what draw what draws people to combat in, yeah. in RPGs. Why is that the big thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. I I think that we've kind of discussed it a little bit, but um the boys are really focusing more on storytelling. We went maybe 3 episodes without actual any combat going on. Mm-hmm. So so when we say that, you know, why go back to combat? Why do we why does any, you know, RPG game system need something for combat um i think in this case fate allows them to be flexible with the way that they role play so there were lots of encounters that they didn't necessarily need die for but the fate system kind of helps structure how they're role playing like uh, for example like in the first episode when they have to escape um when they have to solve the puzzle and you know that that kind of sort of encounter um i don't know that that kind of encounter necessarily would have played out the way that it did if we were still playing with like Taco, Merle, and Magnus. Um, I don't know. Maybe it could have. Maybe that was just like some freestyle role play, and that that didn't actually have any effect on the fate system. Because um, when when you mention or when when I do say that you know the fate system is what allowed them to role play like that, not necessarily. The fate system actually is really just the way of resolving conflict. It doesn't actually. It doesn't dictate how they resolved even when they got their superpowers and they were just throwing spaghetti on the wall they were just talking and role-playing like it didn't actually that's just like i don't know that that would be attributed specifically because they're doing the fate system or because they are aware that they have to role-play on air and verbally talk about their actions and be really detailed and really get into it because they're putting on a podcast um, yeah. When when we really get down to it, I think the only time the fate system actually comes into play has only been this episode, um, because it's just that's how they resolve conflicts is by using the fate system of engagement, I guess you would call it. Yeah, because you can't fight each other in real life to act out what you would want. I mean, that's what the rules um, in these games are for. Is mm-hmm. there's like you aren't warriors and magicians so you need to invent math-based mechanics to simulate that that stuff and it's it's like that's yeah go go ahead oh sorry it's to quantify the actions that you're doing so that the gm can measure if it's successful or not you know yeah and that's even the same reason why um there are the role play stats like deception and i'm talking about fifth edition D&D again but like deception persuasion intimidation all of those things like you could just totally role play it out with the DM or whatever character the DM is playing and you don't need to involve those numbers and that's what Griffin does a lot in mm-hmm. um um the balance arc and I remember sometimes uh Justin and Travis would fight him on it like like I have a stat history, I should be able to roll it to have this knowledge that my character Taco would have, but I Justin would not have. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. 
and that's it's an interesting thing to balance between because on the one hand, like you want to be able to do like having successful role play with people is really fun and it's like you know it's improv it's fun acting out characters and doing that stuff but on the other hand like me as a dm i'm playing like if i'm playing six different characters i can't have every time you guys talk to a character you're just talking to me and trying to convince me or lie to me or yeah. deceive me like mm-hmm. using the Using the random element and making you guys roll for it is a way for me to simulate being a bunch of different personalities as the NPCs. Yeah. Because I'm I'm not good enough of an actor or writer (laughs) to just, like, fake it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And if you had to fake it all the time, every time, that'd be super tiring. And you wouldn't actually be developing characters. It would just be you with different hats on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I... Oh, man. I had something really good to say, but then it escaped me. I'm so sorry. Oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, it allows us parameters in which that we like so that we can interact with each other or with each other. And also, I like that like this conversation would never have happened if the boys didn't go out and try something else. Like we wouldn't have been inspecting the nature of role-playing tabletop games and this is a super meta conversation now. <laughs> That's true. It's pretty cool actually. It That's is really good cool. Way to would, think about it, Chelsea. This would never have happened if the boys didn't, you know, branch out and explore different things. So like them, we're also branching out and exploring different things. So it's all about, you know, trying to trying new things and um you know, seeing what's out there and yeah, learning about junk and I love it. It's so good. Yep. <laughs> I um one thing that I did like about uh Fate Combat, which I thought was cool, was how flexible the initiative order is. Oh yeah. You just I guess they could just pass the baton and they get to decide who goes next. That's really cool and that's really intriguing. Like that I got excited hearing about. I, I um, really I really, really, really like that and I kinda wish we could do that in D and D. I'm not ready to to, to take <laughs> that step. <laughs> I know. You have to you have to modify the rules with extreme care because on the one hand, it's like you can do anything you want. And on the other hand, it's like, yeah, and there's a million different ways that you could fuck up the game and make it miserable for everyone. Yeah. Um, but like- I, I do really think that it's it's super cool in that if you, like, let's say that you as a player decide that an enemy is going to go next. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're giving them an advantage against you because sometimes a character's reaction is a lot stronger than what their action is. Like, for example, um, Remy, like, the first combat that they ever had to do, Remy went first. But because his his combat role kind of didn't go so well, it ended up kind of... He had to suffer, like, a consequence. And it was that the uh, Salome's Ramal... Like, he tried to grab Salome's Ramal so that it would, like, trip the unicorn... But he f- kind of fumbled. He was it. so funny during that scene. He was so funny, and but that's the thing. I like, love Remy so much. <laughs> I love Remy too. But because of that, like even though it was his action to go do something, because he didn't really do it so well, like it turned into this opportunity for the enemy to you know do something to react to them, and I think that's really cool. Um, Mm-hmm. Like even even when it was the unicorn's attack and they were actively attacking Cardala, like Cardala's reaction to that was, "Well, I'm gonna break your horn off, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it as a souvenir." Like, it's it's like you're creating these encounters, um, and it's just it's a really fascinating way to play, and it really does help create a, like a scene of what is going on. In um, it's a little bit more cinematic, I want to say almost. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and I think the thing is with Dungeons & Dragons, the there's a little flexibility to initiative, but it's pretty rigid, but that's because there's a lot of rules, and you need to, like, all of those kind of go into account of what's happening when. Mm-hmm. And I think, I wonder if it would be, it's kind of like, hmm, I wonder if it would be more difficult to play a, to play a game using the Fate system if you're not already super... You don't have the creative juices going, and you're not already really used to roleplay, because in some ways, like, structure and constraint are really good, work really well in a lot of cases, Mm -hmm. and, like, if you have too many options sometimes, then it's difficult to make a decision. Oh, it's, like, super overwhelming, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, even people, that's why in the, like, the 5e Player's Handbook has all those character backgrounds that you can choose from, and, Mm -hmm. like, you can roll that stuff, and you don't have to stick to it, but it's there for inspiration, because otherwise, like, sometimes it's hard to come up with a character and what you want them to be like and how you want to play them. It totally is. Um, It it totally is. Well, and I think that's why the Fate system works so well for the McElroys, is because they've been doing this for over three years by now, 
Um, and they've also just, they've grown up with all these nerdy things in their lives that they are really adept at telling a story and improvising and, and collaborating live in front of an audience. Yeah. Um, it's their a, profession, basically. This is what they do for they, a living. <laughs> exactly. And that's why they do it so well. Like, mm-hmm. for I don't think our group is necessarily ready for that just because we don't come from that kind of a background and we don't do it quite as often as, as these boys might be doing it. So mm-hmm. for them... You know, as as uncomfortable, uncomfortable is kind of a strong word, but as confused as I might get about the fate system and and the way it works, that's a very small part of the thing as a whole. And and as a whole, I think narratively, it really works for them. That's um, true. Although it's a small part, but it is a part of it. And I mean, like I have to be honest, I miss Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I um, it's I. Definitely, there are so many reasons that the balance arc was near and dear to my heart. I love the characters, I love the music, and I thought Griffin's writing was really good. Everyone, the way their relationship is really good, and there's so many elements to that show and that like arc of the show that made it really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. The fact that they were playing Dungeons and Dragons was one of those, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's definitely for me. And again, like I already understood the rules and the game and I'd played the game before and for me like the fact oh man they're playing D&D and like using those mechanics there was something satisfying about that to me yeah um, and having to kind of make things work within that framework and so I again I don't know if it's like I just need to get used to new stuff and not be you know stuck in my ways yeah um, well familiarity is nice like I, I think is. yeah there's always something about familiar things that you are attracted to and that you enjoy other people doing familiar things uh 90s mm-hmm. kids nostalgia it's like super that's true <laughs> it's like ingrained in us to be attracted to things that are familiar um but at least for right now i mean they're doing something new and i'm i'm on board with it um i don't know if i would do it myself but i like <laughs> seeing them do stuff well so... i will actually even though i said oh it's hard to play with the system that has less rules i will go back on what I just said and give you a counterexample. Um, me and my friends used to play this game called Wilderness of Mirrors, which I, I'm realizing in retrospect, I think it was a hack or it was based on one of the fate or powered by the apocalypse systems. Because mm. when I was listening to the stolen century, I was like, holy shit, this is exactly like Wilderness of Mirrors because it has that idea that you roll, you just roll like a D six and you can either get a success, a failure or a mixed success. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Wilderness of Mirrors, it was specifically supposed to be a like Cold War Russian spy game, Ooh. but we just kind of hacked it a little to play whatever we wanted within those rules. And it was literally just like you'd all kind of assign yourselves characters. You just make up, God, we made up the craziest shit, you know? And it was all just <laughs> like sitting around. It was straight role play. There was yeah. barely any combat. It was just rolling a dice and saying, Either I tell you what happens or you tell me what happens or we compromise on it. And it was so much fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's... I don't know why it's like taken me. I think out loud, Kelsey. So <laughs> it has taken me this conversation to realize, wait a minute. I played bare bones, no combat t- tabletop games that were super, super fun. You have to be very comfortable with the people you're playing with. Yeah, um, you convinced but obviously yourself. The, just like the McElroys. Um, yeah. They're they're throwing a lot of spaghetti on the wall, and you know some things are sticking. And <laughs> their and favorite I'm here to expression. Eat it. Yeah, I'm into it. Me um, too. Can I real quick just mention and move on just a little bit? Um, and this might be because I wasn't paying attention or something. How does Mary have her powers? Oh, I I want to talk about that. Okay, thank you. Because that um, when they talked about the warm, familiar feeling, I was like, "Wait a minute!" I thought it was only with like your partners. Is it just with yeah. all of anybody? Let me let me try. So it seems like it might be you need three people in proximity. Mm. So, but let it's me like try to any review. three people. Yeah, I think that might be it. Let me try to let's review what happened. Remy got dragged off, and. Uh, Cardala turned back to Irene and Nadia lost her powers. Mm-hmm. Then, when Irene got near Mary and Remy, they started to change back. Mm-hmm. Did Nadia start to change back too, even though she was far away? I don't remember. I don't know if I like it wasn't clear. I wasn't paying enough attention. I don't know that they really talked about it, but it didn't really come up because, like, when Nadia um, 
I was going to say adulterated the cherubim. When, when, Nadia modified the, <laughs> when Nadia modified the cherubim, she wasn't using her superpowers. She was just using her wits. Oh, um, I want to talk about that, by the way. I love it. that her power is basically to hand wavy super hack things. <laughs> like, that. that's, you know, a stupid trope of heist movies and sci-fi yeah. where it's like, you know, everybody hates when this happens because it's totally unbelievable. This is like... This kind of role, uh, role play tabletop scenario is the only case in which that's not only acceptable but delightful. I loved that. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. Also, I noticed that they all kept saying the cherubim. The, oh, yeah. the singular of cherubim is cherub. I don't know. <laughs> Every time I heard it, I was like, oh, no. I don't know if they knew that, but it was just they forgot in the heat of the moment or they didn't know, but... That was Maybe. just a small, actually, stupid thing that I noticed. I completely forgot cherub was a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's the um well in modern in sort of like Renaissance art they were the little babies with wings. Like yeah, how, I forgot the um, word cherub existed though. Yeah, they're they like kept, the cupids. No, I thought that cherubim was the only like form of that word. Like, oh, I, I no. forgot so, the yeah, word like, cherub for yeah. like existed. Whoops. A, a single cherub is um a cherub, and then the whole kind of class or flight of angels or whatever is the cherubim Oops. and they're in the garden of eden holding flaming swords defending it i forget i'm a little i'm a little fuzzy on that yeah um well i loved i love like angel stuff like an- christian mythology is really cool and jewish mythology yeah and so i'm really into it and i like how immediately in this episode i he used horrifying like, I didn't look at the art, the Roll20 board this time. I don't know if they posted it. But I guess, like, they were talking about how the pictures he used for the cherubs were really scary. Yeah, actually, um, I don't know that it's posted. By now, it's probably posted. But the day that the episode was was uh, put up, um, Twitter was alight. And they were like, hey, where's the map? You know? Um, <laughs> Everybody so... loves that. That's actually fun. I love Let me try it. To see if it's I up. love it. Now that we're playing on Roll20 in our, in our own D&D group, like, it's really delightful. Mm-hmm. And I love the maps that we get to play on. And I'm so, like happy and elated that someone is taking the time to set this all up for us thank you rachel (laughs) you're welcome and like honestly i don't want to go back to playing in person with people on the map using (laughs) roll 20 i've realized the power of this software just quick plug this podcast brought to you by roll 20 um (laughs) no it's um it's so fun having that map set up the way it is and it's actually makes it like i think normally if it were in, I was trying to keep the map in my head, or if I was doing it on, like, a physical board, it would be really hard to split up the party like you guys do again and again. You are completely... It's like herding cats with you people. But, <laughs> Wait, um, let's, let's talk about that after. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to say... Well, okay, yeah. Okay, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> well, Poe Buddy's nerficked. Um, we <laughs> sometimes forget that other wards... There are other forms of other words when they are singular, um, but they also kept re- referring to Goliath as the Goliath, um, as if there are other Goliaths in the Bible. I don't oh, know. I know. It was Maybe supposed to are. be David and Goliath. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought that well, was so I think... funny. I thought that was so funny, though, when Cardala tried throwing the ice and it failed. That was like the funniest shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny one that they like were like, oh, hey, that's Goliath. You know, hit it with the head. It's a riddle. Um but it obviously didn't work, and Remy was like, whoops, my bad. <laughs> I thought that was going to be a thing. <laughs> I uh, thought yeah, that was great. Yeah, it would have sense. It was a fun um, theme park oh, it sequence. Was. Yeah, definitely. Okay, wait, hold on. So Mary, having yes. powers. Mary. And I don't know, maybe it's because I have to like see the board to, to understand how it is, because if, if it's... Mm-hmm. If it's anybody, any three people have to combine to make your your powers manifest, like, how was Mary able to use her powers against them as soon as they landed, but then as soon as she took Remy away from them, all of a sudden their powers disappeared? Like... I don't know. It's, right? it's not when clear. I think about- and I wonder if maybe yeah. Mary had... I think maybe her powers... Was she just using her normal super hacker abilities until everyone got in proximity and then she was able to pilot Goliath? Oh, maybe. I don't know. But she was because also, she was she was taking control of Salome the unicorn and uh John the Baptist's head. And also yeah, the chair of I don't know. Of him. It's not clear. And I don't know if it if it wasn't 
if I just had trouble understanding it or it wasn't like clearly discussed mm. or just the rules are fuzzy. Yeah. Well, I think it's a combination of probably all of those things. <laughs> but it's okay. We're moving on to something else in two episodes. Um, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's also the other thing. It's like this doesn't have to hold. It can be quick and dirty. Exactly. And I think at this point, ah, that I'm just nitpicking because I can't. Like, I'm trying to understand. But and it also could have been well. Space case was in a whole different batch from space the space case. <laughs> so maybe, maybe she like her powers had a little bit different rules than like Remy's and Nadia and Cardala's. Oops, Irene. Um, That's possible. Yeah, cause cause she was like, hey, did you bring my partners Allison and Flanagan with you? And I'm like, girl, if you have your powers, wouldn't you know? Because aren't they giving you your powers by being close to you? That that mm, I don't know. It it might just be me nitpicking because I didn't really understand the rules or something. But yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't Mary know. was Mary was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I liked. Um, I think supervillain origin stories are infinitely more interesting than superhero origin stories. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to hear her talking about like I, like got into this program to get these powers to get back at the government. You know, like mm-hmm. that whole backstory that was hinted at. I guess her parents owned Hallelujah. Is that what she's saying? Yeah, and it sounds like the government like went after them and charged them a whole lot of money and forced them to shut down the, the park and threw them into jail and that made Mary angry. So That's ang- really weird. It Was the park some kind of thing that the government felt they needed to shut down for some reason? Is that going to come back? What What's well, up with the, that? They only have like one episode. Oh, although they are going to go meet the king of the USA. So yeah. maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Is this some whole like political commentary or something? I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. My I yeah, I don't know what to make of that guy. He I for a second I was kind of like, "Ooh, cool. It's a John from the Hunger's back." Um it's kind <laughs> of like that same sort of corporate uh character, mm-hmm. like CEO type character. I guess my, yeah, my, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to think of that guy other than, like, who's this douchebag? Um, yeah. Well, I, I was I was totally expecting it to be Ben Franklin. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he is. Yeah, I guess Oh, no, we'll, he's had we'll his name Richard. That's right. He Richard Franklin, Richard? you know. <laughs> I think so. Um, Maybe. I don't remember. But I mean, I'm I'm excited for the next episode. I'm I'm really excited anytime um, a segment ends with "Let's roll initiative" or "I'm a person you don't know," you know, like yeah, um, it's a good cliffhanger. Clint's been pretty good. Clint's been pretty good at delivering those uh, sort of dramatic um, ending cliffhanger lines. Oh yeah, remember the end of the first episode where he was like, "You're gonna be uh-huh. gods." Yeah, that was. Cool. And then and then it goes into that really heroic theme. Yeah, oh, it was man. good. I'm oh, going to try to make a remix of that for our last <laughs> episode covering this, by the way. Oh, yay. Can I just so. say, though, that like one of the things... I miss a lot of things about the balance arc, but one of the things I miss the most is uh, the constant stream of Griffin music. I know. Oh, man. They can't They can't do it to the same extent for these mini arcs, I don't mm-hmm. think. I don't think that would make sense. No, and I, I wouldn't ask him to do anything like that. But like this, this one theme is enough to cover all of them, but I really do miss just... You know, uh, we're not gonna get a soundtrack after this arc. Maybe we'll get a soundtrack. Uh, maybe we'll get a soundtrack after all four arcs. But <laughs> you know, uh, I guess in yeah. the meantime, I'll just listen to the whole soundtrack from the finale. One thing that was funny was when um, I was I was interested about this and what the hell was going on, but um, Clint. Mary kept, like, referring to Nadia and Cardala as Remy's, like, monster girlfriends. Hmm, yeah. And I, I, here's what I think was trying, what was going on. I think Clint was trying to goad Griffin as Remy into, like, denying it to be, like, a funny comedic moment. But it seemed like Griffin didn't even want to take the bait at all. He just, like, ignored it every time um, Mary said that, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Just, like, I don't want this joke to backfire. Don't make me engage with it or something. Maybe. Uh, Griffin Griffin has is usually pretty aware of um, things that might be, you know, kind of problematic. Um, yeah. But I also really adore that... When he connected to Mary's network and Mary was like, hey, hey, stop that. He was just like, lol. That was so funny. Oh, God, I love Remy. He's so adorable. (laughs) That was so good. 
He's also apparently a really good liar because during that scene where um, he was trying to empathize with Mary and he was oh, saying, God, yeah. um, she was saying, like, I don't believe in what the Do Good Fellowship is doing. I think it's bullshit. And, like, Remy was going, like, yeah, me too. I totally agree. I started to believe him. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, are we getting some character development here? But I don't think, I think it was just, like, you know. Yeah, in my in my head, I um I envisioned Remy like you know to like to her face like nodding and nodding and like in his head he's just like man this girl's like batshit crazy mm-hmm. crazy town population Mary like <laughs> I totally and I thought see it that. was yeah I thought it was really cute how Remy kept like referring to Batman and referencing yes. Batman yes he's such a nerd oh my god I love him so much yeah but he's also Adorable. I really like that he you know is he really cares about preservation of life at least mm-hmm. with the way that he wants to be a superhero um mm-hmm. and and i like that he addressed it and i like that that was something that he strived to want to do like it i'm surprised it's not one of his aspects is that he is trying to be the kind of superhero that doesn't kill people or at least not outright you know um if if that ever became like a an ardent character choice for his character, you could have a lot of fun. You could have sure a lot could. of fun with that. So yep, man. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I just I want more it's... from these characters. I know it's very yeah it's cute how they're all turning out and it definitely does seem like um I don't know it's just like just this kid who grew up reading comic books and watching Naruto and like has all these ideals about being a superhero and then he finally gets superpowers it's so sweet yeah oh i love it a lot adorable i'm gonna be kind of sad when we have to move on (laughs) i'm ready i'm ready for aliens so i keep saying that but i don't think they're even planning on aliens griffin specifically said he wanted to be like cowboy bebop inspired and there aren't any aliens in cowboy bebop well there is that well there's yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> there's some stuff yeah, but it's lo- not like it's not like space opera level yeah looking looking stuff. at the cover art isn't there a spaceship or something yeah there are spaceships but i'm just saying like you don't need aliens to do sci-fi oh like you don't think it's gonna be a mass effect level kind of i hope alien? so god i would die <laughs> oh my god justin playing an alien i would literally lose my fucking shit <laughs> Um, okay, wait, is there anything else I wanted to talk about? I wanted to mention a couple more things. Please, please. you don't have anything else. Well, one No, thing, that's kind of the um, end of my list. You go ahead. Okay. I, I forgot to talk about this when we were talking about the fate system, mm-hmm. but um, one thing that was cool and interesting, especially from a role play perspective, is that the fate system seems to take physical damage much more seriously. Ooh, it's like, yeah. It's more like actual effects, whereas in Dungeons and Dragons, it's just, it's hit points and it's very abstract and this is something that was joked about during the balance arc was like there was kind of a conflict between how do i interpret the the points of damage i'm getting and how do i like equate that to actual damage to my body and they would talk about like vomiting up blood and all this stuff but like merle did lose an arm at one point um but it wasn't like it was part of the story it wasn't like he got enough damage that he lost an arm yeah and so it seems like the fate system is built to have a more kind of realistic way that characters take damage it reminded sort of me like... oh go ahead oh no i'm done oh okay sorry um no <laughs> don't be sorry <laughs> dork um it reminded me a lot of have you ever played uh dead of winter no oh man so i'm <laughs> Well, it's just because I'm listening to Balance, and I'm I'm in the middle of... Oh, no, I just finished Rockport Limited, and I realized that they were doing a lot of money zones um, that were promoting... Um, oh, I can't remember the publisher's name, but they were promoting Dead of Winter and, and the company behind Dead of Winter, but basically... Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, if you've never played, it's a game where you and a band of survivors are trying to survive this, this winter... Um, and you're also being attacked by zombies. So, well, it sounds awesome. Oh, it's so much fun. It's it's very cooperative, except for when there's a betrayer. Um, but you don't know <laughs> who the betrayer is or if there's a betrayer. So it's really it's a really fun game. I think you'd like it a lot. Uh, but I mention it because like if you do a risky action or if you try to travel to different places um, to gather resources or something, um, there is a chance that you could get injured. Um, and, okay. And yeah. if you yeah, if you get enough injury you die essentially so sure it that reminded me a lot about it uh that fate really 
um, takes it to the next level in that you don't just get injured, but you get like a specific kind of injury related uh-huh. to what happened to you. And I think that's really neat. Um, I do too. Yeah. I, I don't really know that I know. So I think though, if I understand this correctly, you can correct me if, if you need to, but the way HP works in this thing is that you receive stress related to what is going on. And the number of stress that you receive is the, the is equal to the number of shift I guess that that the difference between what you rolled versus what your opponent rolled um, and based on how much stress you have you can have like a consequence so if you like get three stresses you get an injury is that right is that what that's what it seems like I mean it seems like physical stresses that kind of makes sense it's supposed to be like you become you start to run out of breath your heart rates up you get like bruised and battered you get general scratches and then those that can eventually add up to consequences or it seems like you can just take the consequence sometimes like isn't that what happened to nadia when she got speared yeah they just straight up took the consequence which i think Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting way to go about it instead of saying i got hit by this golem and it did nine damage hp damage and I'm I'm ready to fight. Like it gives more flavor to what is going on, and I I, mm-hmm. I kind of like that. I really appreciate it. It is neat. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to mention was that during this episode, I I noticed Griffin backseat DMing again. Oh um, no! No, <laughs> Wait, in, in this way, case, in way? well, there were times when um, he would say like I'm trying to remember, but it was just like he would kind of suggest things during the combat a lot to mm. Clint about like oh should he needs to take a uh, an aspect on this or blah 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 but like it wasn't in a bad way i thought this was like um appropriate backseat dming that i approved of like this is much more akin to my own experience where i'll be playing with my old dm as a player and kind of look at him and go like oh, is that how it's supposed to work you know it was just like griffin is the more experienced dm so it's kind of like he is a useful point of reference for clint mm. um when some of the rules aren't necessarily being executed. And it's, like, hard to DM. You have a lot of things on your mind. Like, as hard as it is to play, it's so much harder to try to maintain this entire world. So, if, like, if I were Clint, I would be happy to get those kinds of suggestions from Gl- from Griffin. Just yeah. Saying. Oh, I, I wasn't actually listening, or I wasn't observing Twitter quite so much um, after this episode, but I, I hope that no one was giving him, like, crap about backseat DMing because because well correct. and it was yeah and it was yeah. different and I mean I think there's a connotation to backseat DMing like it's unwanted and unwarranted and like before I think what people were giving him shit for was that he it was less like oh you're not executing the rules correctly or I have a suggestion and more like I'm trying to protect the the property and I don't like the direction that I don't like the creative direction that's oh. going that's like that's happening right now yeah um and so I think more that was what he got shit for rather than suggesting ways to execute the mechanics of the game yeah oh geez um love love you griffin love you so much i can't put it into words how much i admire and appreciate you yeah we're not trying to give you crap we're just just pointing it out oh man oh and then at the end when they got to the elevator did you hear him whisper hell yeah elevator. hell yeah because i i also said hell yeah elevator (laughs) (laughs) oh man you and him were on a wave oh man yeah that was funny that made me laugh quick shout out to nadia for uh being good out here because rushing in's not her thing i love that (laughs) i laughed so hard i love it so much what made me laugh during that scene was how Justin gave this really awkward laugh after he after Travis said that. <laughs> like, okay, Travis, whatever. <laughs> I love it. Also, I love um, when Cardala was, uh, I think she was attacking either the unicorn or the Goliath, and it was roaring, and she was just like, huh, yes, roar. Oh, I know. Yes. Yeah, the way, the way Justin plays her is very funny. I love, I love how it. she says, excellent. Like, yes. <laughs> I love this character. Oh, man. I'm getting sad again that we're not going to be with them for a while. It's funny how when we take our notes about this show, there are things that we have not necessarily complaints about, but we have things to say and we have like analysis that mm-hmm. we want to kind of deliver. Um, and then there's some stuff I take notes about that's just like, I liked that thing. And so it's like, we need a specific section of this podcast where we can just say, I like that thing, but I don't have anything to say about it. Like, I love when Cardala calls Remy little man. It's so yeah. fun. 
<laughs> I think I think that section is this section. It's this the... is it. What else did you love? I kind of just like crossed them out, but now I'm trying to go back through. I know that's what I'm do- that's what I'm doing too. Um, I just <laughs> I, I wrote down really big on my list. It's all it's in all caps, and it just says, "Oh yes, shenanigans," um, because. <laughs> In in one of our earlier episodes, I was just like, man, what about this? What about this whole? They have to be within a hundred yards of each other. Like, how is that going to play out? Yeah, and I said, I want I want my precious babies to be in shenanigans so that they can get their way out of it. (laughs) And then look where we are. We're in shenanigans. So, I really like it. It's pretty fun. This is what we were hoping for was the hijinks that would ensue once they started getting split up. Um, when when uh remy was going in to attack one of the cherubs and um clint's like where do you punch him and he's just like in the baby exactly (laughs) that whole sequence was so funny remy's adorable i love him a lot yes oh man it's funny because i keep thinking listening to this like man griffin is so funny like he's so funny as a player but it's like i forgot it's like i've separated him from dm griffin in my mind it's like i forgot how funny he was as like a bunch of npcs constantly all the time during the balance arc you know what i mean it's like i should i shouldn't be surprised that i love remy and think he's really funny and adorable because like that was griffin all griffin all the time during balance arc you know yeah well this is i think maybe the purest kind of griffin character because it that's true this is yeah there are so many things that i'm like man griffin would totally say that in my bim bam and then it would be (laughs) a it would be a thing and they'd maybe put on a shirt yeah Um, i saw um i saw somebody posting on tumblr about how they couldn't believe griffin had made a self-insert character that was more himself than (laughs) travis did with magnus Which I thought was really funny. I think that's super funny. And then Justin's just Justin. The master of disguise. I, I know. <laughs> the chameleon. I, can't, I don't know what a Justin self-insert character would be like. Oh. Um. I... I'm not sure either. I mean, he's when you see him in, in like, Mabim Bam, either on the TV show or in the podcast, he's just... He is just the oldest brother. He is Justin. I mean, what are his defining personality traits? Snarky, oh, so, uh, good snarky. taste. I heard him mention Moondog in a live show once and I lost my shit. Um, I love Justin. I have such a big crush on him. It's the worst, stupidest oh, shit. Um, although I, I, I love when I've seen people draw uh, fan art of Irene where she's kind of chubby and it's the best. Oh, yeah. So I've, like in a way, it's like it's not exactly canon, but I'm like, Justin, I'm glad you finally get to play your your overweight character. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Yeah. in, in my Because I think we talked about this before, right? Yeah. When he was saying like the reason I never try to make myself in character creation screens is you can't make an overweight character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I love it. And I love that he chooses to, you know, pick these characters that um he are underrepresented on purpose or uh-huh yeah, yeah. I, I love it and i love him and i just love all of them like clint and travis also deserve some love so much love because they're both doing wonderfully yeah and this is the part of the show where we gush about the mcelroys <laughs> <laughs> okay i think that's the end of my list yep i think uh me too all okay. right uh so, so Rachel, i will brief- oh. oh please go ahead well, I was just going to say that um, if you want to send us an ask or a DM or an email, you can find us at um, taztalk.tumblr.com, um, and our email address is taztalkpodcast at gmail.com. And Chels, what's the Twitter? Uh, the Twitter is at taztalkpodcast. Okay. Yeah. And also, real quick, I'm going to be at PodCon in Seattle um, Ooh. <laughs> I'm gonna be cosplaying Stolen Century Lucretia with with a Dude, big old so, a big old book. I'm so excited for your fucking cosplay. You gotta send me a billion pictures. Oh, I totally will. I also I need um Stolen Century cosplayers. I need selfies with the crew to put in my book. <laughs> um but yeah, if you see a Stolen Century Lucretia and you wanna talk about Taz, hit me up. I'm there. Nice. Alright, is that it? That's it. We did it. Okay, so uh, possibly one more episode of Commitment, maybe two. Are you ready? Yep. Oh, man, I'm so ready. I just, I want more. I need more. I always need more. <laughs> well, uh, it's on the way, I guess, Two in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs>
Until okay, then. bye everyone. Bye. Thank you bye. for listening. Bye.